I like lots of things, but there are three things I like most. Love, love, and love, and love, and love, and love. Frequency transmission receives. You're about to experience ultrasounds, an uplifting soulful journey into the spheres of exotic electronic music. Brought to you by DJ E-Love. WMNF 88.5 FM Tampa. Music for your mind, body and soul. Kick back and get ready to seriously unwind. And tonight we are very blessed to be speaking with Ariel Garten. She's a neuroscientist, an innovator, psychotherapist, an entrepreneur and a creator whose driving force is to empower and help others overcome mental obstacles in order to live healthy and happy lives and really reach their maximum potential. And she's one of the founders and makers of Muse, which is a brain-sensing headband and it's award-winning wearable technology that assists and trains meditation and mindfulness. So we're going to be speaking with Ariel. Greetings and welcome to the Ultrasound Show. Hello, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here this evening. I'm so excited. It's such a fortuitous time to have you on the show, especially with this theme and really in the big picture what's going on in the world. Yes, we could all use some support for our mental health right now. Some ability to disengage from the fear that's out there, to calm our nervous system, to allow our bodies to sleep and to, you know, recognize the the peace that we can find within ourselves regardless of what else is going on. And there's so much talk these days about mindfulness and meditation. I wanted to speak a little bit about what the distinction is between mindfulness and meditation before we get into the muse. Sure, that's a great question. So the formal definition of meditation is a practice or a training that leads to healthy and positive mind states. So meditation is not some weird or woo-woo thing that you do. It's a formal practice or training that when you do it, leads to an improvement in your mind and brain. There are many different forms of meditation that you've probably heard of. You might have heard of Zen meditation or walking meditations or um, focused attention meditation. All of these have the similar concept of focusing on something as you still your mind with a single object of attention, whether it's the movement of your feet in a walking meditation, the movement of your breath, an object like a candle, whatever it is. When you do this form of meditation... There is a skill that you build, and that is mindfulness. So people often get confused about what is meditation versus mindfulness. The definition of mindfulness is the moment-by-moment awareness of your thoughts, your feelings, your physiological sensations, and the environment around you. So as you're sitting there, focusing your attention on your breath and watching it and being aware of it or observing your thoughts as they pass by or focusing on the sounds in a room, what you're doing is you're training your ability to be mindful, to be aware in the present moment of what's going on around you and to do it in a non-judgmental way. That's why there are various types of meditations that are called mindfulness meditations because they train the skill that you then go out and use in the world. And meditations of different kinds, you mentioned a walking meditation, Zen meditation, 
these are like food in terms of options and different flavors. Totally. Um, in terms of different flavors and a little bit in terms of what they can do for you. Just like, you know, some foods give you carbohydrates, some give you protein, some give you fat. Uh, in meditation, though, it's all good. There's no stigma against the things it gives you. So in a focused attention meditation where you're focusing your attention on your breath, what you're learning is to focus your attention. So you're literally training your attention and you're also learning to observe your wandering thoughts and take your mind out of them. So you're learning to change the relationship with your thinking. In a compassion meditation, for example, you're focusing on the feeling and the sensation of compassion and sending it to the world or sending it to yourself. Um, both of these are immensely beneficial. Science has demonstrated that they lead to improvements in your attention, decrease in stress, improvement in your relationships, improvement in the physiological function of your body, decrease in cellular aging, and more. Um, so meditation, as much as it's a very simple act, is an incredibly powerful tool or set of tools to have. I think it's really interesting that a lot of concepts or thoughts around meditation is that you have to empty your mind. And yeah. that's like, who can do that? <laughs> <laughs> totally. I always joke that it's about as likely that your mind will go totally blank as that you'll levitate. <laughs> it's not going to happen and don't expect it. That's okay. Although there is a space when I'm meditating, and I'm sure you've experienced this, where there is kind of an openness. It's yeah. almost like nothingness. Yeah. So let's go back to the idea that you brought up here, that it's not about emptying your mind. So within your focused attention meditation, you'll be putting your attention on your breath. Eventually, you'll have a thought that comes up because that's what our brains do. They have thoughts. And then rather than being like, oh, no, I have a thought. My mind's supposed to be empty. What you do instead is notice that you've had a thought and instead of following it like you normally do, like, oh, what am I going to make for dinner? This is what I'd like to make, et cetera. You let go of that thought and you bring your attention back to your breath. And that's going to happen over and over again. You'll have more thoughts that come up. You'll notice, hey, there's a thought. But instead of following it, you just bring your attention back to your breath. And as you do this over time, you actually find that you have less and less thoughts overall, less and less sensation of clutter in your brain. And there's actually a neuronal correlate for it. So there's the part of your brain called the default mode network. And it's the part of your brain that's responsible for kind of giving you the internal dialogue that you have, the chatter that you have going in your mind. And you actually see in long-term meditators, a decrease in the activation of the default mode network. And as a result, less chatter, less sensation of, you know, chattering thoughts in your own mind. So you really do see this kind of decrease in thoughts and this spaciousness, but you're not getting rid of your thoughts. You know, your mind's not going completely blank. And so when you go into a meditation practice, knowing that you'll have lots of thoughts and that's okay, like that's, that's the experience of meditation practice, it makes it much easier to, you know, accept the process of doing it and not get frustrated with yourself. And it's also a practice of accepting and allowing and I feel like when one does meditate, especially with focused attention and mindfulness, when you can watch your thoughts and intercept and monitor what you're doing, you can change your actions in that moment. And so yeah. it's an empowerment. All of a sudden you feel, oh, I do really have control. And all these things, it's kind of like, and this will pass. <laughs> yeah, it's really an incredible 
skill that gets built. You know, most of us are used to going through life on autopilot. We're used to having thoughts in our head and our brain just generating them and our mind thinking them because that's what's in our head. Isn't that what you're supposed to be thinking? And when you do this activity of noticing that there's a thought and then choosing not to follow it, choosing instead to come back to your breath, in that moment, you change your relationship to your thinking and you actually recognize, wow, I can have choice over the contents of my own mind. I don't have to just be thinking all of the stuff my brain gives me. I can actually choose the thoughts that I want to follow and that you know are useful and meaningful and let go of those that are not. And that is incredibly empowering. And then you start to notice the same thing happening with your urges, for example. You know, you might notice that you have this urge to like reach for the fridge or reach for your phone. And then as you notice it, you have the mindfulness that you've built. The fact that you notice it and you notice what your body is doing means that in that moment, you can now actually make a choice to intercept it rather than mindlessly, you know, scroll, grabbing your phone and all of a sudden you're on Instagram. You can actually apply a mindful awareness to the act. And then somehow in the middle of it, you realize, hold on, I don't actually want to be doing this now. I don't need to be doing this now. And you can make a choice to do something different. It's, it's so empowering in our lives. Another thing that I've realized through the meditation practice, I do different meditation practices. Some of it's Qigong, some of it's shamanic meditation, some of it's Taoist. I do various different kinds. And one of the things that I've learned when the, the amygdala, the primitive brain comes into action, say so there's something that you fear, it's like your prefrontal cortex, your thinking mind actually shuts down. And in this day and age, because we're not in a place where we're being assaulted by tigers or a lot of times there's no actual real threat, it's a perceived threat. And our mind isn't operating so that we can think our way out of it, which is what we need a lot of times in this day and age, especially with what we're doing technology-wise. So that whole process of our ancient brain and how it fits into this day and age it seems like meditation is the bridge to being able to operate smoother and have more grace with moving through life because we haven't made that complete adaptation for removing that fear response. It's a normal response that is necessary at certain times. You're absolutely right and, and your neuroscience is bang on. So as you said, we have this part of our brain called the amygdala and its job is to scan for danger and it reacts, but it typically overreacts. You know, it reacts to real danger, but it also reacts to perceived danger or a story about danger or a thought about a picture of danger um, and, or the thought that, you know, somebody might not like us or is looking at us funny. All of these things spark your amygdala. In a long-term meditation practice, what you see actually is people have a down-regulation of their amygdala, so less size to their amygdala and less activity, and they have a correlated increase in their prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex is the part of your brain at the front, and it's like our higher order processing. So it's the part that evolved later, and it's the part that is responsible for our planning, our organization, our attention, our inhibition, our perspective, all of these really evolved processes. And it's kind of like the prefrontal cortex is the parent, and the amygdala is the child. So, you know... <laughs> And I have a four-year-old, and so I've gone through this many times. You know, the child sees 
the shadow on the wall and he gets freaked out and he calls for mommy in the middle of the night and the parent can come in and very easily see it's okay. You know, there's nothing here. There's calm down. It's all good. And so when we look at our brain structures, it is literally the amygdala freaking out at shadows on the wall. And then it's the prefrontal cortex's job to come in and say, hey, I'm the prefrontal cortex. I can rise above this. I can look. I can see there's nothing wrong and, you know, calm you right down now. And so when you look at somebody with a long-term meditation practice, they not only can have decreased amygdala activation, they also have increased actual thickness volume of their prefrontal cortex, like the muscle of the prefrontal cortex is bigger. And there's also, uh, it looks like an increased projection between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala that allows the prefrontal cortex to downregulate it. So there's increased communication between the two, such that the prefrontal cortex is able, the parent is able to calm the amygdala child more effectively. So when you do your meditation practice long-term, you actually see real structural change in the brain that allows you to become calmer, that allows you to gain more perspective and wisdom and insight, and that allows you to quiet those you know, fears and urges that don't necessarily serve us. So now we're talking about neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. And let's talk a little bit about that and explain, if you would, a little bit about how that happens. And does it happen over a longer period of time or can it happen really quickly? It's a great question. So neuroplasticity is the idea that our brain can make new connections and grow and that we as adults can continue to evolve and our brains change and strengthen. And uh, this process can actually be quite fast. So as much as you know, structural change to your brain, like a thicker prefrontal cortex or a reduced amygdala, um, you know, that takes a lot of practice. But in a study by Dr. Sarah Lazar at Harvard, she looked at uh, novice meditators, people who hadn't meditated before, and she gave them an eight-week meditation inter- and mindfulness intervention. And she scanned their brains before and after. And she saw that in only eight weeks, beginners had an increase in the gray matter of their brains. So the gray matter is the number of connections that you have, the number of neural connections. And the more neural connections you have, the more information is passing back and forth. Um, you know, sort of in layman's terms, the smarter you can be. And to give you just one example of that, Einstein had more gray matter than the average individual. So as much as a long-term meditation practice makes, you know, can make significant change, even a short-term practice can start to literally rewire your brain. One more very cool study if we're in neuroscience nerd land here. Um, there's a study by Dr. Eileen Luters. Um, and she looked at the aging of the brain, and she was able to see that uh, long-term meditators, which she defined as people who had meditated for five years or more, um, had brains that looked, on average, 7.5 years younger than non-meditators. So, you know, the five-year investment in meditation allowed these individuals' brains to have real characteristics of a younger brain. 7.5 7.5 years younger than wow. just their five years investment in meditation. Yeah. And which would probably translate externally too because the brain is functioning, you know, inside and out. Of course. And I was yes, wondering uh, if we know if Einstein was a meditator of any kind. You know, that I do not know. He was certainly you know, a deep thinker. I'm sure he did things that he defined as meditation. Um, We know he played the violin badly, and that's where many of his ideas came. So he would, you know, get into this 
state where he was there just playing music um, and ideas would come to him. Um, whether he had a formal meditation practice or not, that I do not know. You were saying about how when you meditate, you actually get smarter. And so that related to when you were talking about Einstein, I was like, wow. Yes. And what about productivity? How is that affected? So um, it's quite incredible the number of things that the simple act of meditation can, can benefit you for. And one of them is productivity. So when you're focusing on your breath and then your mind wanders off into a thought, and instead of following that thought or that distraction as you normally do, you let go and you come back to your breath. Well, what you've just done in that moment is had a distraction, quickly noticed you were having a distraction, and instead of following the distraction, chose instead to come back to the task in front of you. And that task could be focusing on your breath, or it could be you know working on a long-form document, or listening to the person who's in front of you so that you can actually absorb what they're saying. And so meditation teaches you to very quickly notice your distractions, let them go, and then come back to the task at hand. So over time, that's something that can make you significantly more productive. Do you think focused or unfocused attention comes from a young age and habit? You know, that's a really great question. There are definitely people who have more of a propensity to focus than others, you know, who have the, the neural hardware that allows better focus, just like you know, some of us are naturally gifted at sports, not me. Um, but it also is something that you can train. And when you're doing your meditation practice, you are essentially training your attention. It's kind of like attention is a muscle. And that's why when you begin in a meditation practice, you might just begin in for five minutes. And then over time, you can extend that to 7, 10, 12, as you're able to sustain your attention for longer and longer periods of time. So it is really a combination of, you know, the natural propensity you have, um, the teaching that you had, and, you know, the people who would encourage you to focus and create a context that allowed you to learn that skill, um, and then tools like meditation that actually let you train the skill, even if you didn't have it when you were young and weren't good at it before. I wish we would have had this at all schools. Yes. Like from very early on. So tell us about Muse. Sure. So what Muse is, it's a device that tracks your meditation and gives you real-time feedback to let you know when you're focused, when you're in that meditation state, and when your mind is wandering. So one of the things that we talked about in meditation is that you have these thoughts that come up, um, but it's often hard to know exactly what's going on inside your own mind. You know, there's little no little coach or guru sitting inside your head saying, yep, focus on your breath, you're doing great. Oh, your mind wanders, you know, catch that, like, oh, that thought, come on back. <laughs> and so we built Muse to actually solve that problem and, and help help make the process of meditation make more sense. So what Muse is, is it's a clinical-grade EEG, so it's a little brain sensor, just like a Fitbit sits on your wrist, this fits on your forehead, and it tracks your brain during meditation and translates your brain activity into guiding sounds. So when you're focused, you hear it as calm, and when your mind wanders off into a thought, you hear it as stormy. So it's a very, very simple paradigm that lets you actually hear what's going on in your mind during meditation in order to make this slightly you know, strange activity something that is really tangible and actionable and understandable. Wow, it's an amazing tool, eh? Thank you. 
Yeah, it it really, really is. And, you know, we hear over and over that people say, I've never meditated before, I used muse, now I know how to meditate. Or, you know, I tried many times, spent, fell off the bandwagon, now I've got a meditation practice. And it's even come to the point um, where we've been out long enough that I've now met multiple meditation teachers, and when I ask them, so how'd you start meditating, they kind of shyly say, using views. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also in five different languages, and you've had millions of sessions with Muse. People have had this all over the world. Yeah, yeah, there's millions and millions and millions of sessions done with Muse. Um, as I said, as you said, translated all globally. Um, it's also used by lots of different healthcare institutions. So Mayo Clinic uh, did a study they published last year using Muse with breast cancer patients awaiting surgery to teach them to meditate. And what they found was these women had uh, decreased stress and decreased fatigue and increased quality of life during the cancer care process um, as they meditated with Muse. Wow, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I love it. How do people find out more about you, about Muse, and uh, get connected? Sure. So if you want to see what we're talking about, you know, see a picture of this device and what it is, you can go to choosemuse.com, C-H-O-O-S-E-M-U-S-E.com. Um, and then you can find me at choosemuse.com slash welcome. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us here on Ultrasounds. And especially in this time, we are so needing support. And thank you for supporting so many people and continuing to do your work. Oh, thank you so much. It is my joy and my pleasure. And I just want everybody to know that those stories that roll around in your head that tell you, you're not good enough or, you know, there's something terrifying there out there for you or, you know, this thing's going to be bad and say it over and over again. All those stories are just stories. You know, there are mechanisms to just let those go. And whenever you hear them, you can move your mind away, breathe deeply, be in the present moment and feel safe. It's a very, very powerful exercise to do in these times, especially with so much media going on and misinformation and information and so much processing mentally going on and it affects people emotionally spiritually physically it's a whole thing (laughs) well i'm sending my love out to everybody may you feel calm and safe right now beautiful thank you sweetheart many blessings much love to you too bye-bye bye-bye and we've been speaking with ariel garten You've been listening to Ultrasounds with DJ E-Love on WMNF Tampa. Peace and love until next week.